This morning, we are starting a new sermon series called One Another. We're really excited for this. I don't know if you are. I feel like someone was laughing back there. So, um, pardon? Oh, it's the picture. Oh, there you go. I was like, why is everyone laughing at me? I, didn't, I just said we're starting a new sermon series. But that is our new sermon series. Why? Because, you know what, like this picture shows, does anyone else feel like sometimes trying to live life with other people is a little like this? Right? It's like, you know, if I could just do it on my own, we'd be good. If I didn't have to worry about any other human being, It'd be good, right? But guess what? There is this word in the New Testament. I'm probably going to pronounce it wrong, but that's okay. It's called achleilon. Is that right, James? He doesn't know. He pretends that he knows. He's like saying, eh, that's not really right. He hasn't even seen the word. He has not looked at my sermon. Um, But it's this one word, this singular word in the New Testament. We translate it into English most of the time as one another. It occurs almost a hundred times in the New Testament. About 50, about half of them, is by Jesus talking to those that want to follow him. It's a lot. It's a lot of times that he uses this singular word. So interesting in the Greek that it's one word, and in the English we translate it into two. Here's why I find that interesting. Because somehow in the fashion that we do as English-speaking people most of the time, we can think we can take the one out from the another. We have this false idea that somehow I singular can do things and then include the another every once in a while. But in scripture, this word is a singular word. You can't separate you from the rest. It's this idea that we are one. And we need to figure out how to be one. So as we go into this sermon series, we're going to spend six weeks really talking about six key themes that these one another scriptures fall into. In no way are we going to touch on all of them, but I encourage you, if you look up uh, Bible verses, one another, you'll get a list of all hundred of them. I just like to point out the best day of my life is when those lights come on. Just because I can see all your faces better. It's great. Um, If you look it up, you'll see all 100, and we're nowhere going to touch on all 100. But what we have done is we've taken all these 100 and we said, okay, majority of these will fall into six different themes, and we're going to actually just take one week and talk about what does Scripture say about each of those themes, and how does it apply to us individually, how does it apply to us corporately, and how do we better do this thing called one another. There is a trend, and I understand where it came from, and I think it's slowly passing, and it started probably in my early um, young adult years. That was a while ago now, which is probably why it's passing now. Um, There is this trend, and it was this idea that I can be the church on my own. 
I understand where it came from. It came from this idea that we put so much emphasis on the group gathering on a Sunday morning, that the building, that all of these things became the church. And it wasn't the church, right? The church is action. It's things that we do. But it actually moved to this idea that I don't need other people to be the church. I can be the church on my own. I am the church. Has anyone else ever heard people make this statement? Really? Just me? I'm the church. And that's only partially true. Because as we see and as we go through this sermon series, what you'll learn is that you are only a small little portion of the church. And to think that you can be the church on your own is actually the opposite of what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about humility. To think you can do it on your own is a little prideful. Why? Because Jesus talks about this. The New Testament, Paul, as he's writing to the early church, as they figure out what is God actually asking them to do, Paul talks about this. And what the word they use is this idea of, no, you corporately need to do this together. This isn't something you can accomplish on your own. As we go through this sermon series, you're going to hear these six different topics, but we start today on humility. Why? Because I actually think that the other five are impossible to do if we don't start here. I think that there's a reason why over 15%, and again, we're not going through all of them, over 15% of the one another statements, 15% of 100 statements all talked about humility. The only one that actually comes above humility is love. But tell me you can love someone else without a little humility. I think it's wrapped up in the word. And so this morning we're going to open up our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. If you got them with you, you can open that. Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 1. But we're going to start with this topic of humility because it is the place to start. We need to learn how to do this one another better. I would say especially coming out of the season that we just came out of as a world, there was nothing that isolated us more than everyone's opinions of what just happened in the last couple years. And we need to get back. How do we be one? One that corporately has our own thoughts and our own ideas, and we're going to talk about that, but one that has a common purpose and a common goal. And that common purpose and that common goal comes above everything else. How do we get back to that? And I think what it comes down to, which to be honest, and probably including not probably, including myself many times throughout the last few years, I would say that we could have all used a little bit more humility. A little bit more of, you know what? I actually don't know everything. I don't know the whole picture. I don't know all of the answers. 
And I think if we could learn how to listen, to truly listen to one another, we would have an easier time moving forward. Someone, I think I've said it before, someone um, in one of the books I read at some point, uh, I don't remember who it was, so I'm sorry whoever said it first for not giving you the credit. Um, but they said this, they said, listening, oh, I do know, it was from Crucial Conversations. Great book, great course. Uh, they said this, they said, listening, you, no, you need to listen to understand, not to respond. Let me say it again. You need to listen to understand and not to respond. The challenge as we actually took this course and I sat and worked through it was to sit and listen to someone without forming my response before they had finished saying what they were going to say. You know what I learned? Try and do it. It's hard. You know what I learned? So you make a whole lot of assumptions of what someone thinks. You make a whole lot of assumptions of who they are. It's okay if there's an awkward five seconds while you figure out what you want to say to respond after they're done talking. It is a really good practice because it actually puts our hearts into a posture of humility where I'm willing to listen and really try and understand where they're coming from, what they're saying, and why. Living one another. Let's open our Bibles to chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Let me give you a little bit of context. This is Paul talking to the church in Philippi. He just comes out of the whole chapter before, or most of the chapter before, talking about the difficulties that they're facing, the struggles that they're facing, and how to face them. Very similar to what Pastor Ben was shared last week about this idea of what do we do during trials? What do we do when we're facing these things? That's where he starts from. And it actually, if you look in your Bible, often it takes these first four verses and it actually puts them under the subtitle of the, uh, of the passage before it. It means that there's some continuous thought here. So he goes from saying, hey, I know it's hard. I know what, it's, what you've been through. But guess what? It's all about the gospel. And here, let me give you some idea of how to live that out. And just in case we thought that our day and time is new, if you do some research on the church in Philippi, it was a time where voice and opinion mattered. It was actually very similar to how we live today. They put a lot of emphasis on intelligible thought. This idea that I need to have intellect to mean something. And the church was under a lot of persecution at the time. This is kind of where we're coming from when we look at our passage this morning. So let's start. Chapter 2, verse 1. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way. 
having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in hu humility consider others. That word other the others there is that one another word that we were talking about. Consider others as more important than yourself. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. I think we all want the things that he talks about in verse 1. Let's just go through. What does he talk about in verse 1? He said, if you want encouragement, anyone want some encouragement sometimes? Really? Good for the rest of you. I'm glad. <laughs> you can encourage me anytime you want. Um, anyone want some encouragement in Christ? Anyone want to feel like they're loved? Anyone want to feel the fellowship with the Spirit? What does that mean? That means God's presence. We are a Pentecostal church. We're all about the experience, aren't we? Right? This idea of we want to feel the presence of the Lord. Do you want to feel the Spirit, the fellowship with the Spirit? Do you want to feel affection and the mercy from the Lord and one another? Make, and he says, make my joy. My phone just thought I said Siri. I'm sorry. Now it's talking to me. <laughs> I'm not talking to you, watch. Um, United in, oh, he says, make my joy complete. He says, okay, I'm your pastor. This is what Paul's saying. Here's all the things that you want. Now, guess what? Can you just make me feel a little better? And here's how. Here's how. Think the same way. Okay, let's just stop there. So we want all these things. We want the presence of the Lord on our lives. We want encouragement. We want love. We want to feel the affection and the mercy from God. All the things that we say are the reasons why, you know what, enter into relationship with the Lord because these are the things that you get. You're not going to get money and you probably won't get fame, but you know what you will get? You get love and compassion and mercy. You get affection. You get God's presence in your life. You'll get purpose. And it's all accurate. And Paul says, yes, but wait. You know how you're going to get those things? Let me tell you. As your pastor, he says, let me tell you. This is how you get those things. And then he gives this list that I actually think becomes kind of discouraging. It starts by saying, think the same way. Having the same love. United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Think the same way. I sometimes wonder if any two people even think closely the same way. I feel like the more time goes on and the more that we have things like social media, and everyone has this way that they can get their opinions out into the world and not see someone face to face while they do it, the more we become stuck in our thoughts that are completely different to everyone else. But everyone's thoughts are completely different to everyone else. 
think the same way. Saying, but really, like, Paul, are you saying that the Lord actually wants us to all just be robots and think the same? That we're not allowed to have our own thoughts and our own opinions and our own uh, ideas? No, that's not really. You have to take it in context. What does it say, all of it? It says, having the same love, united in the same spirit, intent on one purpose. How do we think the same? It means we think the same about the important things. It means we major on the major and we minor on the minor. And sometimes we minor on the, or we major on the minor. Newsflash, everything that happened in the last two years, even though it was traumatic and I get all that, guess what, in the grand scheme of eternity, it's still minor. I get an amen? No matter how scary it may have been, especially if you're here and you know the Lord, guess what, it's really minor. Most of the topics that we talk about outside of Christ and Christ crucified and salvation are minor issues, and we make them into major issues. And what he's saying is he's saying you don't have to, the idea isn't that we have to think alike on everything, but when you put the purpose of the Lord, when you put the, unite, uh, you, the unity that we have in the Spirit, when we put all of that into the category that we should put it into, all of a sudden, everything else becomes pretty unimportant. He's saying you can do all these things when you have the same purpose in mind. But even that, even that seems to be a little impossible. It's like, so you expect me to be able to put all of these things aside, all of my ideas, all of my emotions? Because I don't know about you, but when you think you're right on something, and maybe it's just me, but I can get pretty fiery. Anyone else with me? Like, when I think I'm right, you better watch out, because I know what I'm talking about. Now, when I'm sane, do I really? No, I don't. But in the moment, do I feel like it? Absolutely. Can we be honest, right? How many of us feel like that, right? Like, are you all like, what's wrong with you? How do you not see it the same? Right? We have emotions. We are human. And so you look at this list and you say, that's great in theory, but now try Try and live it out without, without. Verse 3 and 4. On paper, we will all say, yeah, I get it. Check the box. I know I'm supposed to live with eternity in mind, with love to one another. I know that's how I'm supposed to live. But it becomes impossible if we don't actually do a whole lot of work on verse 3 and 4. Let's read verse 3 and 4 again together. You ready? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others. This alelon, this one another, consider the whole as more important than yourself. In those moments, are we looking through that lens? 
of the whole and us being a part of the whole, but the whole being more important than how I feel in this moment. I don't think often we are. Because it is a supernatural thing. It actually comes down to a heart posture before the Lord. I actually don't think as humans we have the capability to do this on our own. I think it is something that we need the Lord to do. It's that moment where we realize that we need to rely on him and not on us because in our own strength, we are mostly selfish. But God is not. And so we look at his perspective Now, I want to get one thing out of the way, and then we're going to talk a little bit about humility. The one thing I want to get out of the way is, at the end, it, it says, you know, or people read this passage, and I actually have been asked this question multiple times, is, does that mean I'm not allowed to have any of my own interests, my own desires? Am I not allowed to have my own needs, and, and what does that mean? And no, it actually says this at the very end, right? Verse 4, it says, everyone should look out not not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. There's this picture that I have my needs, I have my boundaries. It's a good word, but it's a word that we use a lot these days. I have my needs and my boundaries and, and, and what I want, and there's everyone else's needs and boundaries and what they want. And what it's saying is it's saying, guess what, yours aren't more important than theirs. And theirs aren't more important than yours. Together, we need to figure out how we all work together. It's okay to know yourself and to know what your desires are and to figure out ways to, to live out God's purpose for your life. But when you do that in isolation and you forget that, hey, what, it's not just about you, is where, we become, where the problem comes in. So if humility is the key, we need to get over ourselves, right? If, you, if I was speaking in many other countries in the world, this passage would not be as applicable in the way that I'm sharing it. Why? Because they have an understanding of communal living. They have an understanding that, you know what? What's good for you is also good for me, and there's this give and take, but we don't live in that world. We live in a world where our self is number one. What my feelings are, what my thoughts are, what I do, how I interact, that is more important. That's the culture that we live in, and so we need to look at it through that lens and say, okay, if we know that we're probably going to lean to that side as a culture, then we need to be really careful that we aren't. And so it comes down to this idea that we have an inflated view of self as North Americans. We often even read scripture, and I love, James says it all the time, he's like, guess what, most of the Bible was not written to North Americans. It was written to the Middle East. 
Even when you read through Revelations, right, it's talking about from a lens of, of that area of the world, and we need to read it through that area of the world. We aren't the most important people on the planet. We are part of the whole. And so we need to understand that our, our desires here as North Americans often put self above other things. So how do we do this? I heard a great uh, sermon series. It was called Get Over Yourself by Kyle Edelman. I only listened to part of one sermon, but uh, I want to throw it out there because I'm using some of what he said because I think it's really good. And he talked about this idea of how do we get over ourselves? How do we, how do we actually move past this? Of what I think about is what I need first. How do we move past this? Get a few things. Here's a few signs that'll tell you that you need to get over yourself. Are you ready? Actually, before I even go to the list, this is probably the first key, is you just thought about five people that needed to hear this sermon instead of you. Right? Because when I heard it the first time, that's what I did. I was like, you know what? You know who really needs to hear this sermon? And the Lord's like, what is wrong with you? Like, are you not even listening? I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I suck. Right? I don't know. Maybe it's just me. But uh, number one, you need to get over yourself. This is going to sting. You take things too personally. Someone says something and your feelings get hurt. And then you're like, you know what? We're not talking anymore. Or, you know that person. Anyone else have those moments? You're easily offended. You just take things really personally. Most people aren't going around trying to hurt each other's feelings. It often just comes from we're just not that sensitive sometimes. Those of you who know me and know me well, and I've worked pretty hard at it, but I can be pretty straightforward and blunt, and I often will hurt people's feelings, and I don't mean to. Not as much as I used to, but, you know, you ask me a question, and I assume you want a real answer, so I'm going to give you a real answer. But the problem is, is that most people don't want a real answer when they ask most questions. They want to feel better. <laughs> Took me a long time, and I am now teaching my youngest daughter this task, uh, this because she also struggles with it. She's like, "But they asked." Yes, I hear you, but most people <laughs> don't want a real answer when they ask you a question. You take things too personally. Number two, your feelings are the most reasonable. Anyone else? Okay. I think marriage just amplifies every other relationship that you have, you know? <laughs> and probably most more so even in our marriage, who people who know us, like we deeply love each other. Like neither of us would, be, would tell anyone that we would ever want to do life without each other, right? You'd better say yes. Um, <laughs> We love each other. There is a 
depth to our relationship, and I can stand here and tell you that, that, that we are deeply connected and we love each other, but the amount of times, because we're both pretty stubborn and opinionated, and so the amount of times where we look at each other, and I know that he's thinking the same thing I'm thinking, and thinking this, thinking, you are unreasonable and I am reasonable right now. What is wrong with you? Is it accurate, honey? <laughs> I'm saying it for you. I know that you must think this. Because we actually say it to each other. We're like, what is wrong with you? Like, why are you so upset right now? I'm, I'm not upset. You're upset. I'm not upset. You're upset. Clearly, we're both upset. Right? But how often, and we get really good, we get really good, especially as Christians, at doing this. I'll pray for you. You know, what's, you know what's really going on in your head? It's like, I don't know what's wrong with you. No, where does it come down to? It means like it comes from this place of thinking like, well, I don't know why you're being so unreasonable right now. I'm not sure why you're so upset about what you're talking about. This is not a big deal. Humility is a heart posture that says, you know what, you hurt, I hurt. Whether or not I get it or I understand it. Whether or not it seems important to me. You and I are a part of the one. Which means I don't get to remove myself from your pain. Because there's always a reason, right? If you learn to listen long enough, there's always a reason why people end up where they end up and why they seem to be acting unreasonable. Um, uh, What's the word? Not reasonable? Unreasonable, thank you. <laughs> Apparently I can't talk either. Just need a little humility, it's good. Um, there's always a reason. And our job as being a part of one another is to be humble enough to actually listen to what that reason is and to figure out a way to address it. Number three. So number one, you take things too personally. Number two, you are the only one that is reasonable. Uh, number three, your desires are the most important. I actually see this a lot uh, when people become passionate about the Lord. Because zeal without humility can become a problem. Let me explain. It's that, you know what, you become so passionate about something, whether or not it's a singular ministry, or whether or not it is a, a, a cause, or whether or not it's a country, or whatever that is, you become so passionate about it that you don't understand why everyone else isn't. You forget that as the one, we're supposed to fill all the gaps. And so you're filling one gap, and someone else is called to fill someone else's or some other gap. But our own desires sometimes become like, why isn't everyone paying attention to what I care about? And we can get our feelings hurt. We take it too personally instead of recognizing that God has called us each 
to care about something. Number four, you always think others need to apologize or change. You know, um, there was a moment in my early life, I was a pretty uh, hurt person at that point, and I remember feeling like I was just hurt by everyone all the time. I was like, why? Like, everyone should say they're sorry to me. And then you know what I realized? I realized that maybe I was the problem, not them. You know, it's different. We get hurt and we get damaged and that happens in life. That is normal. And it is normal to be hurt and we need to work through our hurt. And in no way am I saying that we should just sweep all of the hurt under the carpet and not deal with it. No, we need to. You need to process your grief and your pain and your hurt and all of those things. But at the end of the day, what humility says, humility says that there's probably a reason and I'm going to forgive and we're going to move on. Now, don't get me wrong, sometimes that means certain relationships need boundaries around them and they need, um, they need change in order to protect yourself and that person. But that is different than holding on to resentment and grief and being offended and waiting for the apology. Because you actually can't continue on the purpose that the Lord is calling you to do. You can't live out the, the, the goals that God has, this idea of loving each other and, and being focused on eternity. We can't do that if we're sitting there waiting for all of our hurt to be justified. Because you know what, at some point you're going to have to serve on a team with that person. At some point you're going to have to see them across the table. At some point you're going to have to learn how to move forward. And we all could do that better. And number five. And this one, I find very convicting. I mean, all of them, apparently, because I've told you. Um, but especially this one. Are you ready? And let me prefix it by saying this. More my internal thoughts than even my external ones. It says, you tend to be negative and critical instead of positive and grateful. I think our defaults, and probably because majority of our input that we get from the world out there is negative and critical, our default in our brains is to go negative and critical. It's the path of least resistance, right? It takes a lot of work, a lot of humility to actually choose to look at the positive and be grateful. to choose to see how blessed we really are. To choose to remember where the Lord sits and where we'll see him one day. 
takes a lot of work to do that. It's a heck of a lot easier to be negative and critical all the time, to see all of the bad in our world. And guess what? If we sit around and we complain about all the bad that everyone else is doing, we become part of the problem, not the solution. Our job as Christians isn't to point out everything that culture is doing wrong. It's our job is to go out and be the light in it. Our job is to be grateful that God opens up doors for us to be the light in it. To be thankful for every confrontation because you get to speak truth. To be thankful for every time that someone offends you because you get to show the love that Christ showed us. Because just in case anyone hasn't told you, we all offended the Lord. I'm going to call the worship team up. If we really want to be able to live this one another, and as we go through our sermon series, I encourage you this week to actually take a few moments and really sit with the Lord and be like, God, deal with the state of my heart. Because if we can't get a heart posture that is one of humility, you'll never be able to do the rest. Because guess what? The rest are harder to do. There's this quote, and again, I don't remember who it's from, so I'm sorry. But I actually love it. And we're going to leave it here, and then I'm going to pray for you guys, and we'll close in a song of worship. It says this. The language of arrogance is complaint and criticism, and the language of humility is gratitude and encouragement. Let me say it again, because this is actually my prayer for us as a body of believers, is that we would deeply understand this. It says, the language of arrogance or pride is complaint and criticism, but the language of humility is gratitude and encouragement. Uh, church, let us be a place that is one that is thankful and encourages each other. Come on. Let us be a place that is thankful and encourages one another. Amen? God, I thank you for your body here. I pray that you would give us hearts of humility before you. God, that we would make a choice every day when we catch ourselves jumping to complaint and criticism, when we catch ourselves looking at the negative, when we catch ourselves becoming too selfish, God, that we would change that into encouragement and gratitude. Would you give us hearts that are looking for the good and not the bad? God, would you give us blinders for all the negativity and amplify all the good that you are doing because you are doing good, God, and sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we don't see it because we're too busy looking at all of the bad. God, I pray that we would be able to live together as one body as we choose to have hearts that are grateful for one another, that see the good,
that choose to pull out the good. In your name, amen.